Welcome to Chapter 2 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Ed Grogan, CIO at Calvert Health System. In this segment, Grogan talks about his team's efforts to facilitate not just data exchange, but data sharing, why Maryland's HIE continues to be so successful, and the tele-ICU project he helped launch that's improving patient care across the state. So at this point, both the, the employed and affiliated practices are, um, you're exchanging information with them both. And NextGen is really primarily among the employed physician practices? Yeah, let me explain that a little bit, little bit further. Um, about 25% of the providers using the NextGen platform are employed. Okay. The other 75% are independent. So we have quite a few independent physicians, one very large practice and a lot of small practices in the community using it. We also have the uh, Department of Mental Health for the state, uh, the uh, mental health uh, clinic in the county, also we're also hosting for them. We've also established, and, and we, we've, we've set parameters regarding, you know, information sharing in that area because it's a sensitive area. But we also have established, back in 2010, uh, we established a community health information exchange. We actually acquired the NextGen HIE, or they called it CHS back then, Community Health Solutions but it's been rebranded NextGen HIE. And we implemented that back in 2010 to connect the hospital, the physician practices, independent and employed, and four imaging centers and three outpatient labs uh, together uh, to uh, facilitate not only um, data exchange, but also data sharing. So the physician practices who we serve uh, signed up for this, the data sharing plan where uh, they basically can consume uh, lab results ordered by other providers and other practices. Uh, they can consume a lot of information from the hospital. This is back in the day prior to meaningful use, stage one and stage two, uh, prior to the uh, CCDA, prior to uh, the HISP, uh, and so forth. So, so we actually, there was an initiative in the Maryland, D.C. area, the Maryland, D.C. Collaborative for Health Information Technology, that was looking at setting up a, a RIO, Regional Health Information Organization and, and Information Exchange, but that never came to fruition. And what followed was CRISP, uh, the, the State of Maryland HIE, which is doing very, very well today, providing excellent service. I'm yeah. also serving on the technical advisory board for that, um, that organization. But uh, that has come to fruition, but we implemented the community HIE before CRISP existed, um, once the Rio fell apart, the Maryland DC Collaborative for Health IT fell apart. Um, we still have it in place today. Uh, Mer uh, the state of Maryland, uh, the Chesapeake uh, Regional Information System for our patients, Chris, um, has, has now a second generation of technology uh, supporting it. Uh, they use MIRTH as their underlying platform. Uh, and so we are going to be replacing the NextGen HIE for community HIE with MIRTH HIE. The parent company of NextGen, QSI, purchased MIRTH, and MIRTH is a very solid platform. And so we are actually replacing the NextGen HIE with the MIRTH HIE this summer by August or September the latest. And uh, that will give us some additional uh, capabilities for better workflow for our providers consuming information. And it provides the opportunity for more synergy with the state HIE, which is also on a MIRTH platform, moving forward in the future. So that's part of our strategy for information sharing, as well as, of course, leveraging the uh, stage two meaningful use, um, you know, interoperability capabilities, which we've yeah. implemented and are certainly using today for hospital to physician communication information and then from physician to physician. But we have really haven't optimized the use of that technology yet to its greatest potential, 
So we're also working on that optimization effort this year. We did achieve stage two meaningful use last year for the hospital in 2014, but for the physician practices, they elected to wait till 2015 to achieve meaningful use stage two because the CMS offered that flexibility. So, um, so the physician practice is a little behind the hospital, again, still working on optimizing that, the interoperability capabilities of meaningful use stage two technology. So that's sort of what we're doing in the area of interoperability. Okay. And I would think that having that, having that in place a, a couple of years ago did, did put you in a, in a good spot, though, as far as, as meaningful use and, and not having to, you know, kind of start from, from scratch, but having uh, that level of, of data exchange with the physicians. So we have different ways of sharing, you know, exchanging data. You know, we've got the direct uh, method now, uh, which is more of a push, although we're setting up query mechanisms. And then, um, you know, we had the other uh, form as well, the, the, the precursor to that, which we still have in place, the HIE, which providers, again, can consume information uh, on demand. I guess it's sort of a pull technology uh, where they can consume information. The, uh, the, the HIE, the community HIE, does have a clinical data repository. Folks don't access it through a portal today. They will be able to do it with a new HIE, but, but they, they can within the workflow within the ambulatory EHR, they can pull information from that clinical data repository, uh, and also information can flow through the HIE from the hospital to those physician practices through that channel as well. So now you talked about CRISP, which, which you, are, you were involved with at that point, and that, that's one of the HIEs that, that we've, we've heard from a few other people has really seems to have... Um, kind of had that, that secret sauce and really seems to be, you know, thriving, which is good to hear because, you know, in speaking with people all around the country, HIEs is certainly um, a, can be challenging to, to keep them going. One of the things we're doing right now is installing a magic button. We're starting with the, uh, the hospital information system, and we're in the middle of working on that project right now, and that should be live in a month or two. And providers will be able to within the hospital information system, the hospitalists or the emergency physicians will be able to click a link within the patient's chart, click a link, and it'll go directly to that patient's chart in CRISP, in the virtual uh, uh, record, virtual HR, in the, in the CRISP data repository. So we'll be able to look at, you know, a broader scale of, of information beyond just our own community uh, and look at that patient's medical history uh, from the CRISP database as well. So we're in the process of doing that to make that an easy transition. Um, and so, uh, but CRISP has provided a lot of other value adds. We were very instrumental in uh, promoting the creation, supporting the creation of patient-centered medical homes in our community, both for our employed providers and our independent practices, primary care practices. And by hosting the ambulatory HR for almost all primary care practices in the county, uh, we are um, we, we help them achieve level three NCQA status for patient center medical home, and uh, the care managers uh, in that we also provided uh, care managers. So it's not just high tech; it's high touch. That's a very very important element. Uh, and so we have care managers that not only follow up with with patients in their homes. We have a discharge clinic we've established in the hospital uh, post discharge for patients with certain chronic conditions. But we also provide care managers. Uh, on a contractual basis to the independent practices to use in their patient-centered medical homes. And they're alerted when a patient uh, is discharged from a hospital, not only our hospital in our community, but also other hospitals, you know, tertiary care centers, et cetera. They're alerted when, when the patient is seen in an emergency department or a discharge from a hospital, uh, a different hospital outside of our community, um, so they can, they can quickly react. And that's been, that's been a value add. Plus, the uh, CRISP uh, provides the... PDMP program for the state, 
the prescription dr drug monitoring program for the state. Maryland was one of the last states in the country to have that program, and, and the timing was right because CRISP was there, so they actually host the PDMP database. So that provides a good source of information for our hospitals and primarily ER emergency physicians for patients who present in the ER who are you know, drug seekers. So basically right. having that PDMP program and access to that with the magic button, making it easier to navigate and get that information uh, will, um, will help us in a lot of different areas. Okay. So this is a really pretty active uh, HIE, and, you know, just as far as being able to um, come up with different initiatives that, that are obviously there, there's a need for. Yeah, and the state is looking at leveraging them even more and more, and, and we've been even talking about the possibility in the future, and I haven't made a decision on this yet, but, but having, you know, more ambulatory data in CRISP and then also uh, perhaps even having some analytics in, in, in CRISP and maybe even some workflow tools for, for care coordinators, care managers, uh, to help with the whole population health management effort, to help with the health health management, um, you know, coordination, and uh, because again the the state is rate regulated, most most hospitals anyway are are, are capped for revenue, and uh, the state of Maryland is trying to maintain its uh, Medicare waiver, so that in the state of Maryland we're an all payer state, uh, all payers pay a, a similar level, not exactly the same necessarily, but but pretty close for services under rate regulation. And uh, so, for example, Medicare pays more uh, for a service in Maryland than it would in another state, However, and the private payers pay less because there's not that offset there. Uh, but we've been able to maintain, Maryland's been able to, 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 to contain the cost curve to, uh, to keep it below the, the, the medical inflation rate for the rest of the country. And because we've done that on, I guess, an experimental basis going back decades, we've been able to maintain that uh, CMS has allowed us to maintain this waiver, and so uh, we want to maintain the waiver and, and really, in order to again help deal with the, the cost curve and, and to curtail medical inflation, uh, you know we're looking at even leveraging CRISP to to help um, help in that effort as well for the population health management. That's sort of right. uh, so we're doing some things with CRISP right now with the, the, the encounter notification service of these care coordinators being notified when a patient's discharged from another hospital or has been seen in the ER there. Uh, but, again, we're looking at even going further with that for population health management and leveraging CRISP um, uh, to help with that as well. Okay. So now in terms of um, telemedicine, uh, with, with Maryland eCare, um, can you just talk a little bit about that as far as um, you know, what that program has been able yep. to do? I wrote the feasibility study for Maryland eCare back in 2006 or so. Uh, and um, initially, the, um, the genesis of that was that there were community hospital CEOs that banded together, um, and they were looking to solve different problems. And one of the problems they were trying to solve was uh, the fact that the LeapFrog group had made three initial recommendations for leaps to improve quality, and one was for 24-7 coverage uh, by intensivists those board certified in critical care medicine in IC, all ICUs. Mm -hmm. And there aren't enough board, in, there aren't enough board certified intensivists uh, in the nation to cover, adequately cover every single intensive care unit 24-7 in all right. hospitals throughout the country. So they were trying to figure out a way to, to address that. And at the time, there were, there were a couple of concepts regarding telemedicine. And uh, so there are a couple of different models out there. Uh, University of Maryland was promoting one model or testing one model. 
and uh, others around the country were testing other models. Uh, and there was a technology developed from some physicians out of Hopkins that hadn't been implemented in Maryland yet, but it had been implemented around the country starting in Centera in 2000. So we looked at that. Um, Delmarva Foundation, the Medicare Quality Improvement Organization, was tasked with doing the feasibility study. Uh, there was some turnover in the organization. I was, I was tasked with dealing with from the IT perspective, but then we also had folks in the medical and quality and other in nursing perspectives. But they had some turnover in the organization, so I ended up quarterbacking the effort, uh, did engage the Delmarva Foundation on the quality piece, but wrote the feasibility study for the CEOs, presented to the, C the CEOs of Community Hospital in Maryland, and they liked the concept of ICU telemedicine to extend intensivists to more beds than they could possibly cover being physically present. So uh, we ended up looking at a couple of options regarding should we build something in, 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 in the Baltimore area to serve Maryland or should we uh, uh, you know, look for another organization that's doing this, that's an early adopter that maybe would, would extend to cover some community hospital in Maryland. So we did a, did a big, big feasibility analysis, um, went out, met with a lot of different uh, health systems from inside the state, outside the state, uh, myself and my CEO, who's recently retired, Jim Zenis. Um, and, um, and so at the end of the day, elected to uh, form an LLC, Maryland eCare, uh, to contract with Christiana Care initially. Uh, we were the first hospital at Calvert to go live with uh, uh, tele-ICU services from Christiana Care. We had that contract with them for five years. Uh, we saw significant uh, improvements in our Apache scores. We saw a significant reduction in ICU mortality the first year we went live uh, in the double-digit range and um, had extreme success, uh, re reduced length of stay. Again, uh, what, what this service provided to the to six community hospitals today is uh, after-hour support by the remote uh, center for intensivist support. So from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. weeknights and then 24 hours on weekends and holidays, we have remote intensivists serving as the attendings of the, of the, of the patient. Now, they're not replacing the attending. If something critical happens with the patient, they will communicate with the attending. But the attending doesn't have to take every single call from the nurse after right. hours, so they can get some sleep. They can have better. They can uh, have a yeah. better lifestyle. So the, the the remote intensivist handles that. But b below the remote intensivist at the remote site is um, uh, our, our uh, experienced critical care nurses, uh, mostly certified. And uh, they also provide monitoring and screening actually 24-7, even 24 hours a day during the weekdays. <laughs> the intensivists only come on at night during the weekdays, and, of course, they're there on the weekend. Um, okay. So uh, that service has uh, – there's two-way audio video uh, with the patients. Um, and the intensivists, we, we basically integrate our information systems, our clinical lab value results. Um, uh, they have access to our PACs. Um, and, of course, the electronic health record. Um, we also uh, interface uh, physician notes between the, um, uh, the remote intensivist site and the hospital both ways. And then we also um, have uh, integrated physiologic monitoring as well. We have not only vital signs information back at the remote site, but we also have near real-time waveforms. So we, we bring in the disciplines of clinical engineering or biomedical engineering and and IT and telecommunications to, to make this happen, uh, all the technology areas. Uh, and that's an area that I particularly enjoy because I have a background in both, in all, those th all three areas, actually. I'm certified both in 
IT and also in clinical engineering. So I've been kind of enjoyed that project from that perspective of technology integration. Um, and so um, been very successful. We have six hospitals aboard now. We've actually moved that program over to Maryland. We had the governor of Maryland cut the ribbon on a new medical arts center in our county uh, back in 2010. We took them over to the ICU to take a look at the telemedicine setup since we were the first in Maryland to do that. And he, and he, he uh, turned to his secretary of health who was with him and said, why is the University of Maryland uh, doing this? So we actually uh, engaged in conversations with the University of Maryland medical system and we moved it over to the University of Maryland from Christiana when our five-year contract with Christiana expired in 2013. So okay. now the University of Maryland medical system and its vice president of telemedicine who came from Christiana Care, Dr. Zup, Mark Zubro, uh, are overseeing this program and looking at expanding it beyond tele-ICU services to also other areas for possibly uh, teleneurology, telepsychiatry, et cetera, in right. the future. They're developing a, a strategic plan and a game plan for that. So uh, we, we were kind of were the, the small, uh, the mouse that roared, so to speak, the small <laughs> Calvert Health System, Calvert Royal Hospital, kind of started this. And yeah. now that's helped uh, spur the, the University of Maryland medical system and the state to, uh, to really, um, you know, um, do more of this ICU telemedicine, which they've also extended to their own hospitals at the University of Maryland medical system, their own community hospitals, uh, and then and to go into other areas as well. So we were very happy about that project. It's, again, improved uh, patient uh, uh, outcomes, patient quality, patient safety. I mentioned patient safety wards earlier. I should also mention that we are also the lowest in the state now with all of our efforts and care management efforts uh, for, for readmissions, hospital readmissions. We're number one and number two in the state for readmissions, lowest readmissions. We also uh, also have the highest survivability rates or the lowest mortality rates now as well in the state. So uh, we've really been focusing on, on the patient, on quality and outcomes, and we've been effective in a lot of the things we've been doing. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.